I think rather than just jump right into the message, I'll share a little bit of my testimony this morning so that you can understand some of what we pursue as a church and why. Um, I grew up in a Christian home in a Pentecostal background and uh, met Christ early on. And by my high school years, knew there was some kind of mark of God on my life. Didn't know how that would play out. But uh, did things like I read through my Bible twice in those years, uh, which later on I realized is not usual for high school kids. Uh, I did not get in trouble like most kids do. Um, And it's one of those things where I realized the grace of God when my friends asked me to go out and get goofy. Uh, I was strong. And when I really wanted to do that, they didn't ask. And later on, you're going, well, thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy, because, um, you know, that's, that's all that spared me from that. Uh, in my college years, I went to a Christian college, and uh, in the first semester, ran into behaviorism, both in my English class and psychology class, and from that point on, wrestled with whether God was real or not uh, during my whole time there, even though I'm majoring in biblical studies and psychology. And uh, didn't resolve those issues till after I got out and actually uh, was in my first year of ministry. Um, but it, part of it was, it kind of explained my heritage in that, you know, you're a product of your environment. Now, I didn't explain the people that I was working with later on, but I didn't put that together initially. And uh, so I, I, I went through that. Um, college was more about growing up for me than studies. Uh, I did study some. Uh, <laughs> that's all I really want to say about that. I married a salutatorian. <laughs> it's the closest I got to honors. Uh, <laughs> um, I... Went to work in a ministry called Teen Challenge right after college, which was Christian drug rehab. And there had um, an experience where I had to decide whether I truly believed this stuff or not because I was working every waking hour, and it was like, this place will kill me if I don't decide something, and and I need to know I'm burning out for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, in that... uh, I made a decision, uh, it, it wasn't, I, I just came to the conclusion that I had studied psychology enough to know that most people define humanity by their list of needs, and I'm going, if we're all just needy, why don't we commit suicide and get it over with, and uh, I wasn't any worse off than anyone else. Now, that's kind of morbid, right? That's not the greatest reason to live, but uh, that December, um, I had a powerful encounter with God that lasted for weeks and weeks and weeks. And C.S. Lewis described his thing as being touched by joy, and that's, that really is close to defining what was happening in me, where every time I would have my devotions, which I had maintained during that time of doubt, uh, I, it's just like God was there in the room, came alive for me. And uh, I went from St. Louis to a place in Texas, worked for a nationally known evangelist, doing more of the same. Uh, that's where I met Shar, in fact. But 
those were tremendous years, and I saw ministry carried out with an integrity that I hadn't seen anywhere else. Uh, went out to San Diego together, uh, directed a girls' home out there, did a lot of street work and prison work, burned out again. Came back to the Midwest with a, a growing passion for the local church. Uh, spent a year and a half helping an uncle in Illinois. Went down to Kentucky, wired houses for six months. Came back to northern Wisconsin and pastored there for nine and a half years. And uh, those were tough years overall. Um, it was, uh, we had just enough money to get by. We were um, doing what you often do in small churches, whatever it takes to get it done. And, uh, but they were good years, but it just, you know, God was refining us. Then we went down to Illinois for two years. I'd felt like God was calling me to be bivocational. Uh, we picked up the pieces of the church that we'd been a part of and reestablished that. And I worked uh, construction during that time. And uh, God was gracious to us, and, and good things took place. But it became a very busy season. You know, I'm, I'm working 45, 50 hours plus commuting, trying to raise a family of four kids, trying to pastor a church, remodel a house. You know, and you just you get into a freneticness that is, uh, you know, God spared us from doing anything stupid, but it was one of those seasons where you're just kind of going, I don't know how long this could go on. And I, you start to get bored with life. And so about that time, we had a baby. Best surprise of our lives, but uh, at 42, we did not anticipate that. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, in that season, I, and the reason I, I mention that is because I can look back and say, this is the year where God transformed us in an amazing way where um, we had some friends that, that we had from year, many years past. Uh, he was doing evangelistic services. There was an outpouring in a town called Brownsville, Florida, a Pensacola Revival, it's sometimes called. The evangelist of that was a friend of ours. And uh, at that point, I didn't care. I di it didn't matter to me. I was just, well, that's good for him. Glad God's doing something for him. Um, but we actually got to participate in that. We'd gone to see family in Texas. We were invited to go down to Alabama and Mississippi and that area. And, and uh, we had just family vacation. And so we were down there. And uh, the last day, we didn't have anything to do. So we decided to run over to Pensacola and see the Naval Aviation Museum. And we went right by the church. And it says over 29,000 souls saved. We're going, it's got to be the place. So we pull in, and the guy says, you've got to come see this. And so um, he said, I want to fly you down, see it. And we went, and God transformed us. Uh, where all of the doubts and frustrations and that just kind of were lost in a moment. And in that same year, we got introduced to the contemporary prophetic it seemed like everywhere we went, people were speaking into our lives in ways that we knew they didn't know us, they didn't know anything about us, but they kept nailing stuff. You know, and in that, that built this thing in us that just says, we will do whatever it takes to participate in that. That's what, that's what our lives are going to be about from here on out. 
And uh, it was an interesting thing. I felt like I outgrew the church that I was a part of there. Um, the first church, I think people outgrew me. I think that I walked into the kitchen one day, and as I was walking through that doorway, I felt like the Lord said to me, um, what more do you have to say here? And I could not answer him. felt like I'd said everything I had to say, and it was done. And I didn't like that feeling. I didn't want to leave. I'm not a person to just jump ship and run. You know, that's not me. And took me about a year to understand that he was calling me out of there. The second church, I was wrestling with this where I feel like God is moving us into something and I don't feel like the group's coming with me. And then suddenly through a transforming four days, I, in a sense, had a call to come up here. And that that started with a phone call to my mom who uh, didn't normally... Uh, metal in my life. And she said, have you thought about Marquette? I'm going, no. Uh, had no interest in coming up here. Uh, knew the church well, uh, just had no interest and uh, loved where I was at. The next day during worship, I had this vision of a, the UP as a black region with little flames in each town. And uh, went home and told Char, that was weird. During worship time, I'm either worshiping or I'm thinking about the sermon. I don't, you know, that's not a time for me to be messing around, right? <laughs> I got to hone in at least for a while. And uh, so that's what I do. And this was distraction, so to speak. The next day, they ended up calling our place. This church called us, and, and uh, I was taking kids up to youth camp, and so I missed that call. Shara got a hold of me on Tuesday and said, you better at least pray about this thing. And uh, I went out in the field. I had some time for devotions. I opened up my Bible, plunged it in my finger. Don't recommend that for every situation, but there are times when you're desperate, you know. <laughs> and uh, I got Judges 18, 9, and 10. It says, aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go there and take it over. It's a good and spacious land that lacks nothing whatever. You know, we didn't see it as that way in, in our mindset at that time. We do now. Aren't you going to do something? You know, it's like, how, more, how much more specific can you get? Well, I started crying. I'm thinking, I don't believe this. So I went back and I, I said, okay, God, I'm going to make one phone call. And if they're in, well, then, you know, let's... Go forward with this. If, uh, if not, well, then I'll just say this was uh, one of those strange events and write it off. So I called at 1230 thinking, well, maybe they're out to lunch, you know. <laughs> and the guy was there, and I was so befuddled in that moment. I said, well, I guess I'm interested in your stuff. And I hung up. Now, I'm known for short phone calls, but <laughs> that was... <laughs> That was about as short as it gets. Um, and then through a series of events, uh, we landed here. And it was, uh, it was a significantly different congregation than it is now. Uh, it was an older group by and large. And, uh, you know, there, there were, the first three years were not simple. In fact, uh, we, we changed course. And so none of those transitions are easy. But, but we did it. 
as a group, you know, and, and some of that group is still here. <laughs> the people were coming in and out of the door like flies, you know, and, and the truth is I didn't have the years of connection, and so it didn't sting to me as much as it did to others. But um, then God gave us two years of what I would call a unity that I've never experienced any other time where they're just, it's like there were no issues for a while. And then we had this amazing thing take place in about 2008 uh, on the campus. And a lot, of, a lot of the married couples here now come from that season. And so now we're trying to figure out again, what do we do? You know, we've got young families, we've got college, you know. And so that transition is taking place, and that's a part of what we're doing even in this moment. Um, there's, you know, when you're college age, there are times when you can just worship for three, three and a half hours, and doesn't matter, right? It's just awesome, and we did that for a long time. That's not as simple for a family with three kids. You know, it's... It's a major chore just to get the kids to church. And by an hour or so, they're screaming, and you're kind of going, yeah, we're not going to hang around today. And so that tension is part of even what goes on here. At the six- or seven-year mark for me personally, I felt like I had gone through my initial goals. And uh, so then I'm asking God, is it time to move on? What do you you want? And... uh, he gave me two words, individual words, and didn't have a clue what they meant, but it was, I got the word cooperative and entrepreneurialism in one week. And uh, we're still exploring part of the dynamics of that, what it means to live in, in community together and, and function, and even entrepreneurialism, try, praying that ones within our midst will rise up and start business and, and do things like that. Um, I have, on a personal journey, been um, onto this thing of what I call, or what is often labeled appropriate technology. I called it sustainable living for a long time, but what you receive in sustainable living at the campus is not what I see as sustainable living. You know, I, I value people over animals. Uh, I love eating animals, but I, I mean, you know, it's, it's not the same to me, put it that way. Um, but at the same time, much of our message is the same because we're to be stu- good stewards of the earth. Um, our goal isn't to present it in fear and to just say, oh, you know, it's all going to fall apart and what are you going to do? That, I don't think God wants us to function in that fashion. But I do, do think he gives us warning and allows us to look at our systems and evaluate those. And I, I went to the elders some years ago, and I said, you got to know, on Sundays you're going to get the same stuff from me that you've been getting for years, but a lot of my during-the-week stuff has been in this area, and if I'm wrong, you need to tell me, because this, is, this will need correction. And they came back and said, well, we're kind of on that page too, so let's, let's chase this for a while. Part of the reason we have neighbor groups is kind of that idea. I want you to know the people close around you geographically. And four times a year on Sundays, we'll meet in those groups. And, you know, I, there are other things tied to that, but that's, that's part of the reason we do what we do. So, anyhow, um, 
As far as values, when I was in college and I learned that the Bible was written in Koine Greek, which is plain man's Greek, except for a few letters of the classical, like Luke's writings, um, that was transforming for me because I'm going, if it's written in plain man's language, it needs to reach the plain man. And so we have spent energy at staying away from just religious terminology. It's like if that term is only used in church, I really don't want that much to do with it. I would rather explore things in language that we use in the community and around us on all of our lives. And so that's one of the things that I chase. Uh, another is that Having grown up in a Pentecostal setting, I saw a lot of craziness, but I also saw some real power. And so my goal is to embrace what I see as acts of the Spirit, but to not pretend that things are taking place that aren't. You know, it's just like with our worship. We do a lot of repetitive music now. Um, we try to turn our musicians loose to do what ministers in their lives and use that in leadership to our group. But, um, you know, in, in repetitive worship, it can either be really boring or really awesome. There's not much middle ground, right? If it's not working, you're just kind of going, oh, God, how much longer? In a, in a righteous way, of course. <laughs> and, and, and then... But you, you can be saying this phrase and suddenly it just, it's in your heart in a way that you're going, yes, yes, I get this. And, and then it just starts exploding and you're realizing, I'm having an encounter with God. You know, and, you know, in, this, in the same ways, we've walked through some things. Traditionally in, in Pentecostalism, we, we honored tongues above all other gifts, not intentionally, but it was just one of the things. And, and yet, um, I guess where I'm at with it personally, I, I at times will pray in my personal prayer in tongues, but rarely does it come out in a public sense. And I've tried to encourage our people, when you pray for others, if you don't know what their position is on this, I ask that you ask their permission before you would use that prayer language. Not to deny it, but just to say, you have the right to, to choose how this goes so that we respect and honor each other in that way. Um, we also, at times, you'll see things like people falling out. I've also said, no catchers in this place. If it's going to happen, we want it to be God. And if it's not, well, happy bouncing. You know, <laughs> I, how, do you def, you know how do you make it happen in a, in a way that allows the real to take place, but not, you know, some of the, oh, man, I don't want, uh. Inside of each one of us, there's an opportunity to discern what is the Spirit of God and what isn't. And there are times when you're looking at something, you're going, I'm into that, or you're going, no way in the world. 
And a lot of times, that's the presence of God actually defining that thing for you. And if it gets labeled as spiritual and Christian, then where are we at? Because we walk away with this confusion that goes, uh, they, you know, they all seem to like that, but uh, I'm not buying into this. If we can keep it real, then we have the opportunity of experiencing powerful things in the Lord. I'll give you one of the things. Uh, one night, we had a guy that used to train, you know, the Olympic uh, cross-country skiers were training here for a while. And one of the, the guys came here out of a evangelical background, but certainly not charismatic. And we have this service going on. And I look over, and there is a guy flopping on the floor. And my first reaction is, I'm livid. What kind of nut is, excuse me. You know, that's, and then I see who it is. And I'm going, he would never do this <laughs> unless it was God. Now, at the end of an hour, I mean, kid's an athlete, right? <laughs> he gets up, he doesn't know where he is. But I'll tell you, his life was transformed in whatever else was going on. You know, why the outward expression? I don't know, but sometimes God takes over our emotions. Sometimes time he takes over our physical being in ways that we don't necessarily get to call. There are times when I will have tears running down my face and that from my heritage and history is like, I despise that in myself. And yet I know that when God at times just does it. You know, and, and I'm happier for the experience and, knowing, and that sense of Him than I am over despising the, the manifestation, so to speak. So there are times when, when we've had people sensing heat in a way that just, you know, they can't explain, but they're going, something's going on. And we've had healings take place. And, you know, can we manufacture those things? No. Can we force them? Not at all. And so what we do is we try to put ourselves in a position where God will speak to us. And we try to respond to him when he does speak. But we, that's, you know, that's where we're going to be. And if it comes to a place of defining our experience, you know, and saying, well, my scripture, my experience varies from what the scripture says, you trust the scripture even over experience, okay? So, in other words, you may have had an experience and you're trying to say, well, I, it was powerful, I know it. Well, that's great. But the scripture takes preeminence even over those things. And so... You know, somebody explained our church this way, contemporary worship, hardcore doctrine. That's what we're going to do. And as far as our prayer times, um, I explained it a little earlier, we decided that most of our prayer was, we, <laughs> I decided, <laughs> most of <laughs> you. My experience in church was most prayer was perfunctory. You know, you pray at the offering, you pray at the beginning, you pray at the end, and you, uh, 
you're good to go, right? And yet, if the church is known, you know, and its prayer is, is to be a significant part of it, well, then we need to incorporate that into our midst. And so um, we intentionally took time and we said, we're going to treat this as a lab. You know, in other words, if you have trouble praying in public in this setting, I really doubt you're going to be praying down at baby cakes for someone. And yet there are people at baby cakes that need prayer or wherever else you go in the community. And so if we can learn how to do it here, my hope is we can do it in the community as well. And so you have the opportunity if somebody prays something over you and you're going, that didn't do a thing, you have the right to say that. And you also have the right to just say, I'm not comfortable with this. You go ahead and do your thing. You know, that... Be gracious at least, but, uh, you know, that's, we're going to keep at this. And what you'll find is that there are a lot of people in this group that are very comfortable praying, and they get things from God. And sometimes they'll be reading your mail, and you'll be going, what is going on here? Well, they've, they've learned to hear and to speak what God has. And it's a beautiful thing when it's working. And like, you know, like I'm saying, we, we're not going to pretend, you know, we're not going to say, oh, that was great. What was that about? That's hypocrisy. We don't want that. But we do want to just keep pressing in at this thing and allowing ourselves to, to sense from God. I guess that's enough for today. Um, I'm going to the book of Habakkuk. Um, part of the reason is I've been chipping away at some of these minor prophets, the Old Testament, that if you're first time reading through your Bible, you're going, why does that have to be in there? You know, and w- 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 I don't know the names. I don't know what it's talking about. I don't, and I just want to chip away at a couple of these little books and try to make it a little simpler when you read. Um, Habakkuk means to embrace or to be embraced. And if there's any one thing I'd like you to remember out of today is that this book, in a sense, is asking the writer, the author, God's asking him to embrace life as it is with a faith that is able to walk through the, the circumstances that he's in. And so just, just to keep that in mind, it's, it's theme, the writer's theme is he's looking at injustice and evil in the world and saying, if God is a just God, why does injustice exist in the world? You've probably never thought of that, right? We've all wrestled with it. Some of us extensively, and it keeps coming back. This is one of those little books that takes it on. Listen to this. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? 
Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, and justice is perverted. And then a lightning bolt strikes him down, and the book's done. <laughs> no. God's not offended by those questions. Isn't that amazing? But in this, you know, we're, we're reading that, and we're going, man, that could have been written today, right? I mean, don't we regularly look around and, and go, there's a, there seems to be quite a bit of corruption among our politicians. I mean, we've viewed it in other countries, but uh, it does seem pretty close to home right now. And as far as our judicial system, man, that's kind of whacked. And then, you know, your businesses, man, they're, they're cutthroat. And you just, you know, you're looking at it and you're going, why? And I believe in a just God, but what's going on? Well, God answers them. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Well, that's awesome. In fact, Paul quotes this verse when he and Barnabas are out uh, on their first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13, Pisidia and Antioch. Um, he's addressed the people in the synagogues, and, and they're not responding. In fact, they're just, you know, push, brushing him off. And uh, he says, you need to be aware. The prophets warned of this kind of thing. And Paul's next step is to say, because you're not listening, we're going to go to the Gentiles. We feel released. You know, and so he's taking us, you wouldn't believe if we told you. And he, he takes that passage and he's chewed on that. Now, here's a guy, the Apostle Paul, who was on both sides of God's justice, right? He was one of the ones that was putting Christians to death early on. And so when he comes to the Lord and, and he's starting from the other way, presenting, a, he's had to wrestle through this dynamic. Why was I allowed to even do that? Why? why? You know, I put innocent people to death. So he's had to wrestle that through. And, and he's aware of a book like Habakkuk and, and kind of just, you know, that, that issue. So he quotes it in there and but here's, you know, God gives that answer to Habakkuk, but listen to how he takes it. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who will sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're feared and dreaded. A lot of themselves, they promote their own honor. He says they're a guilty people whose own strength is their God. So... <laughs> I got really good news for you. The injustice that you're seeing all around you in, in Israel, you know, God's special people that are supposed to be living right and aren't, and, and all that, you know, there's, they're supposed to be your leaders and all of this, that, you know, people of God. 
God's chosen leaders that aren't doing it right. He says, I'm bringing in the Babylonians to wipe you guys out. <laughs> and of course, the, the question begs to be asked. Uh, uh, they're worse than us. Why would you do that? You know, and he goes into explaining how ruthless their, their armies are and such. You know, verses 12 and 13, you're from everlasting, Lord. My God, my Holy One, you'll never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. He says, I'm having a real problem with this. You're holy and pure, and yet you're using an impure people to do something to us? That doesn't make sense to me. He says, this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand my watch. You know, he, I, I chopped out some verses. But he'll do things like he'll say, you know, they're like a, a person is fishing with a net. They drag in. They're living. You know, it's like they're dragging in the nations and capturing them. They're taking so many prisoners. It's like the sand of the sea. And what they're doing, he says, that they're living in luxury off of everyone else. That doesn't make sense to me. He says, I'm going to stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. In other words, I'm going to be an observer for a while. You know, I, at minimum, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and watch. I, I, I don't get this. See what answer is going to come out of all this. See what the Lord will say. The Lord replied, write down the revelation. Make it plain. Tablets. He says, it waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait. It will certainly come and not delay. The enemy's puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And he's making this declaration. He says, God's saying, you're going to have to be patient in this. You're going to have to understand that, that evil, as it's known, and injustice is a temporal thing. And what's going on isn't forever. He says, you're going to have to live by faith in this moment. You're going to have to faithfully walk in the Lord even though you see things around you that don't make sense. Some of you are stepping into that this next week. You're going to be in classes where, where profaneness is coming across and you're going to be expected to learn it as a part of your degree. And you have an option. Do I live by faith or do I capitulate? You have to make a decision. God is speaking to Habakkuk and saying, the righteous will live by faith. Now, Paul picks that up. Again, he's been chewing on this book. And in Romans 1, he takes the expression about salvation 
says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, Jesus died on a cross. What sense does that make in the natural? The Son of God would be destroyed in, in human form? Why? That's the basis of our salvation. We trust in him that, you know, now it says of Jesus that, you know, who for the prize set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, therefore was given a name above all names. Exalted to place, seated at the right hand of the Father. In other words, Jesus saw ahead, knew the good that would come out of it, but went through all of the crisis and the junk that was thrown at him. And we are being asked to live lives that will walk through the junk and the disasters and still have a confidence that God's grace and favor are resting on our lives. You will not escape that in your Christianity. He says, the righteous will live by faith. Well, he goes on, he speaks of the Babylonians and says, you've plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? He's saying, yeah, there are times when people groups will rise up and destroy others in, in, in an attempt to make themselves great. And he says, God is not overwhelmed by such things. And he doesn't allow it to go on unchecked forever. But living in the here and now, you're going to see things that in the moment don't make sense. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Then you move into the third chapter, and it's a prayer, and it takes a specific form, which, because we're not language experts and we don't understand the original languages, we just have to take somebody else's word for it, right? But then we still try to glean out the truths that are in it. Lord, I've heard your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He says, I know that we have earned judgment, and I know that it's coming upon us, but I still cry out for mercy. That's a, a good prayer, even today. You know, you see things, we see things in ourselves that we've done. And we're going, I deserve judgment in this. And yet in our hearts, all of us ask for mercy, right? I... I don't want payback for what I've done. I want mercy. And, and, and Habakkuk's looking at it and saying, well, you're right to judge us, but please remember mercy. He says, in wrath you strode through the earth, you threshed the nations, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one, you crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, you stripped him from head to foot. And again, I left out some of the verses just so I could get some of the main points. But in this, he's looking ahead. He's seeing that his own nation is going to be judged by an immoral people. 
but he's also seeing that that isn't left unchecked. And he's saying, Lord, you are powerful and awesome, and I acknowledge that again. Now here, the, the final verses are so powerful, and I, just, I want you to just catch this. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet I wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. That's a description of a fearful situation, right? That's about as bad as it gets. I'm shaking. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good in the moment. I'm in deep distress, but I'm still looking ahead. He goes on, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, and here's the turn, yet I will rejoice. I will be joyful in God my Savior. He says, I'm going to choose to walk in the joy of the Lord even in this moment. I'm going to choose to, in a sense, ignore all the junk around me and the things that aren't going right. And I'm going to embrace a faithful God and I am going to choose joy even in this moment. If you and I can get a hold of that concept and grab onto it and just say, I'm going to choose joy. It's powerful how it influences our lives. Shar and I have kind of a personal thing attached to this verse. Uh, she does a good thing. She will often write down dates where she feels like a particular promise was given to her from the Scripture. So in the margin of her Bible, she's got 85, 86. In the years 1985 and 86, when we're having some real stressors in our lives and things aren't going real smooth, not just because Heather was born in that time, uh, <laughs> In that season, it was a very difficult season of life for us. And she's reading the scripture and she says, I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. And so she, in her margin, she writes 85, 86. And, and we can point back to it and say, God was faithful to us and he, he's faithful now. And he, is, he allows us to see even that time in reverse through joy because of the good that's come into our lives, even connected to that. But in the moment, there was nothing on the surface to just celebrate. But a life of faith says, I'm going to continue to walk trusting him because he is faithful. There's one final verse. It says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now, you've heard of the book Hind's Feet in High Places, and a lot of people have found awesome things in that. Um, the thing that stands out to me in this moment is that 
if you've ever seen pictures of like mountain goats on the side of a mountain, you know, or watched a video of them jumping from one place to the next, I'm going, I couldn't do that mountain. I have no desire to try. Uh, but to watch them and go, how do they do that? In a sense, I'm looking at this, and, and, and the writer, to me, is saying, there are so many pitfalls around me. There's so many opportunities for misstep. But in the Lord, it's like my footing is stable. And I'm able to go places that I wouldn't have dreamed possible. And he's able to see me through things that don't appear as if there's even a path. And he's going to keep my footing stable in him. What an awesome idea for our lives. Lord, allow us to walk in stability based on your faithfulness. Praise the Lord. Stand with me, would you? We thank you for your scripture that speaks life to us. We thank you for the privilege of relationship with you. I ask, Lord, specifically for those that might be going through things this morning that seem overwhelming, that you would be their strength and confidence, and they would walk in faithfulness, choosing to rejoice in you. Guide us in that, I pray. Amen. Thank you.